You're listening to The Voice. Benvenuti a Leuven. Leuven, Jürgen. Добро пожаловать в Leuven. Bienvenue à Leuven. Willkommen in Leuven. Leuven에 오신 걸 환영합니다. Welcome in Leuven. Welcome everyone to The Voice on Radio. Uh, welcome back to uh, the first show of 2021. Uh, we stayed quiet in January because we knew everyone would be busy with exams. Um, us included, but um, here we are again, uh, hyped up about this new semester with new ideas, new show coming up. We're, we're, I'm very excited. Uh, so this is Anita. You've heard my voice before quite often in the last semester on radio with Nicholas. And I've been, we've been hosting quite some shows together. And I'm very excited and happy to introduce a new voice here on radio. Uh, who will be my companion for this coming semester. Um, so welcome, Dashan. Welcome to this show. And uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, thank you very much, Anita. And uh, hello, everyone. My name is Dashan. Hello, Dashan. Welcome to, to this show. And uh, would you like, for those who don't know, would you like to introduce yourself a bit better? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a second year PhD student in philosophy. I mean, not to bore you with the details of my project, uh, my thesis is about uh, the relation between self-love and friendship in Aristotle's philosophy. One of the questions I ask is, what does it mean to be a good friend and what does it mean to love oneself? Um, so I'm very honored to work with Anita for the show. And uh, we are actually uh, ex-flatmates and now we are uh, good friends. Um, Since we are interested in different issues, uh, we hope to make use of our differences and contribute to the show together. So I hope to bring some historical and philosophical dimension to the contemporary issues that we will discuss throughout the semester. My belief is that philosophy can be fun and inspiring without the jargons of abstract ideas. Yeah, I like that. I think we really need someone like you in the show and because uh, I'm quite, yeah, I'm more like about the concrete world, but I, I like this dimension that, that you want to bring to the show. I think we'll have a lot of fun. And uh, we'll also have a third voice, um, another host, Nadia. She's been also here with us um, in November, December for a few shows. So we will be the main host for this year. And um, But I also invite everyone, whoever is listening to us and is just wants to try this experience to, to just contact us and uh, we can have a show on, on topics of interest, uh, whatever, whatever they are, they might be. So we're open to new ideas, to new members, always, always ready to welcome new people to the, in the team. Um, so just a brief overview of today's show. We, uh, we took inspiration from the month of February, since it's the month we're starting our show in. And uh, indeed, we're bringing together uh, traditions from different countries, uh, but also, of course, literature and philosophy in there. Now that Dashan is here, he has some knowledge, expertise on that. So, um, And um, I also remind our listeners to check our channels, to check both the articles, but also list to the past radio episodes. So uh, the web, you can find us uh, at thevoice.leuven.be or veto.be. Uh, on Facebook, The Voice International Student Publication and on Instagram, thevoice.kuleuven. Uh, 
And for our shows, radio shows, you can listen to them all on The Voice on Radio on Spotify. Uh, so I will go on and introduce the first song. We have, have a quite multicultural selection for this uh, for this week. So I'll go on with the first uh, song in Dutch. So maybe Dachshund, since you have been studying uh, quite some Dutch in the past year, you can translate the title for us. The song is called Licht in Donker by Frukje. And uh, <laughs> Licht means light and Donker means dark. So the song can be translated light and darkness. Very good. Very well prepared, Dachshund. Thank you, well. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, indeed, we have been, been both. We have been both trying to learn the language, Belgium, main language, actually. Um, it's been quite some, quite challenging, but... Um, Fun, no? Yeah, I like, I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. So I hope I pronounced it well for everyone. Um, a few words about the author Frukje. She's quite new, like she's an emerging... Uh, artist um, suggested of course by, by a Belgian friend of mine uh, she's from the Netherlands and she's quite young I think she's 19 years old and uh, she just released an EP uh, that you should check out, check up, check out on Spotify so uh, a little taste of it with Licht and Donker by Frukje enjoy Telkens als de avond valt Ogen dicht en vuisten gebald Altijd als de schemering komt Lijkt het of ik zomaar verstom Want ergens tussen licht en donker Zijn we diep gezonken Er ligt liefde op de bodem van de oceaan Ik kan nooit meer slapen, want ik moet het halen Ik moet heel diep duiken voor de zon weer ondergaan Iets explosiefs en je kan niet voor altijd doen alsof het niet bestaat. Ik wil ons niet verlaten, dus we moeten praten tussen licht en donker, net voordat hij Beslissende momenten, ik weet niet waarom Moeten we samen zijn, ik denk wel
welcome back to The Voice on Radio. That was Licht and Donker by Fruki. So uh, what did you think, Dashan, uh, about the song? Um, I think I need to work on my Dutch better <laughs> so I can really enjoy the lyrics. Yeah. But I, I appreciate uh, the, the, yeah. this music. But the sure. sound is nice, right? I mm -hmm. mean, I think her voice sounds really uh, sweet mm -hmm. in spite of, uh, no offense to any Dutch listening right now, uh, in spite of Dutch being quite a harsh language when you hear it, I, th mm -hmm. I, I feel like, and I was really uh, impressed by this, this artist when I listened to her. I really cannot stop playing it in my, on my iPod. Honestly, I, I really like it. So, mm -hmm. but indeed, more work on our Dutch would, would do us good, I think, to yes. enjoy even more indeed. of Fruki's music. So yeah, shout out to my friend Yanti for, um, for showing me this song and um, Fruki in general. And um, so back to today's show. Uh, as I mentioned before, we uh, we thought about just having a chat about some of the traditions taking place in February um, in different parts, in different countries in the world. Um, so the main one um, that uh, Dashon actually brought up is Groundhog uh, Day uh, on the 2nd of February, uh, which off will offer us a lot of nice uh, points mm, to talk about during the show. And before getting into like deeper these deeper talks um, about groundhogs, philosophy and literature, mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to share with you Dasha um, another tradition that also takes place in February mm -hmm. that is called the uh, Chandeleur. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard about it. Yeah, well, you told me about it yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. I've been boasting uh, about it. I've been talking about it since yesterday. I'm so full from last night's dinner, actually, because I can say I celebrate the chandeleur this, this year. So chandeleur is the crepes or pancake feast that many French people celebrate in, in February. And uh, yeah, usually it yeah, falls on February 2nd and... Um, in the the holiday has religious religious roots. The tradition was kicked off by a pope. Um, the big round golden pancakes are said to be to resemble to the sun, and this reminds us um, the beginning of the spring after a long dark winter. So, chandelier is also a reference to a candle maker who brings light. And actually, I found out that it's not only in France, but it's also in the UK, but it's called the Shrove Tuesday. And uh, that also falls in February, but like between the 3rd and, and actually March 9th. So, um, in this case, for the, in the UK, uh, Shrove Day is considered as the last opportunity to, to use up eggs and fats before embarking on the Lent uh, feast. Um, I hope that's that's how it's called. It's like the 40 days uh, leading up to Easter. And so pancakes are the perfect way to use up all these ingredients. So um, that I, th I thought that was a fun, a fun tradition to share. Uh, but now back to the main character of our episode, and that is the groundhog. So um, Dashan, since you um, you had the idea to bring this up during the show, uh, mm -hmm. can you tell us a bit about the Groundhog Day? For sure. Um, so in a way, uh, February had a lot of holidays welcoming the spring. So as you said, the chandelier is one. And Groundhog Day is basically like that. However, it is based on a Pennsylvanian Dutch superstition. So mainly uh, Dutch uh, or German immigrants in, the, in North America. 
They have this idea that on the 2nd of February, if a groundhog emerges from its burrow on this day and sees its shadow due to the clear weather, it will retreat to its den and the winter will persist for six more weeks. But if it does not see its shadow because of the cloudiness of the day, spring will arrive early. So, um, it's a, from the sound of it, sounds like a very strange uh, festival, but, uh, uh, but it's real and uh, many people celebrate it. And I, I believe Anita saw a video of it on YouTube as well. Yes, indeed. I watched a, a video about it this morning because I wanted to be prepared on the topic. Uh, and I actually had a good laugh because it's it's very interesting tradition. This video is actually the Groundhog Festival held in uh, in Pennsylvania every year. is one of the, m the most famous, and in the, this was the one hundred and thirty. 35th uh, annual prognostication of the groundhog and it's this civic festival there is um there's a president and it's actually a club the groundhog club and um they take the the, the groundhog out of his its uh, bur burrow uh, to have the prognostication so will we have six more weeks of winter or will we have spring right away as you said it depends on whether it sees its its shadow or not but in the case of this video in the case of this festival what they do is they put a groundhog on top of this uh, sort of um platform yeah platform and uh, there's two strolls and then the president of the club talks to the groundhog and the, he's the only one actually who was able to talk groundhogese so mm -hmm. the language of the groundhog mm -hmm. and the groundhog makes his pr prognostication it only tells the president and then yeah. if the president chooses the stroll depending on what the groundhog said and do you want to know what happened this year tell me Anita. so in 2021 we will have six more weeks of winter actually oh no based on the prognostication of the groundhog okay <laughs> so get ready to for some a bit more uh, of winter and cold right before we can enjoy spring again this is according to the pennsylvanian field groundhog but i don't know maybe maybe it was just wrong i'm we will see anyway i'm pretty sure it's wrong though it, there's no sign well we can we can say that for sure there's no scientific um basis or correlation between the groundhog and the weather that's true but, but of course you can believe whatever <laughs> you want to believe right well yeah. i thought it was pretty convincing like the whole <laughs> the whole you know festival around it but yeah we will see mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay however i think most people would likely to know the festival from the movie of the same title ah uh, yeah right i haven't watched it yet but i want to how how is the movie um yeah um, okay i'm gonna tell you the movie uh the movie no spoilers though i mean yeah exactly so the movie is called groundhog day uh starring uh bill murray it's made in 1993 so the premise of the story is pretty simple this journalist went to the this town to cover this news and he find the the story absurd he didn't want to do the job however he and his crew was trapped in a in a snowstorm and then something very strange happened to him, namely he's trapped not only in the town but also at the same day. So every day he wake up, it is a groundhog day. He have to go to the um the event and cover the story and live the same life over and over again. So I will not spoil the ending for you, but what I'm interested in here is this idea of how we can imagine ourselves being stuck in a place and have the repetition of life 
and how are we gonna live our life if that happens to us? Um, so well, I don't know what you would do, Anita. Well, but before, but before you give me your own answer, uh, would you mind uh to read a paragraph from uh, Nietzsche's book The Gay Science, in which the basic question is also posed. This section is entitled The Greatest Weight. Anita, please take it away. <laughs> Directly from uh, the philosopher's library, I mean, Dashan's philosopher library. Uh, yes, I will go and read. Um, so it goes like this. What if someday or night a demon were to steal after you into your loneliness, loneliness and say to you, this life as you now live it and have lived it, you will have to live it once more and innumerable times more. And there will be nothing new in it, but every pain and every joy and every thought and sick and everything unutterably small or great in your life will have to return to you, all in the same succession and sequence. Even the spider and this moonlight between the trees and even this moment and I myself. The eternal hourglass of existence is turned upside down again and again, and you with it, a speck of dust. Would you not throw yourself down and gnash your teeth and curse the demon who spoke thus? Or have you once experienced a tremendous moment when you would have answered him, You are a god and never have I heard anything more divine. If this thought gained possession of you, it would change you as you are or perhaps crush you. The question in each and everything, do you desire this once more and innumerable times more? Would you like upon your action as the greatest weight? Or how well disposed would you have to become to yourself and to life to crave nothing more fervently than this ultimate eternal confirmation and seal? Great. Thank you, Anita. Beautifully read. Okay, so we will give everyone some time to think about the meaning of this thought experiment by playing the next song, which I choose. The song is called Rock and Roll in the New Long March. It is by a Chinese uh, um, rock and roll singer uh, from 1989. Uh, Anita, do you know what a long march is? I don't. Right. I, was, I was fearing you would ask me some questions about the song. Right. <laughs> I'm not prepared. Uh, well, some uh, history for you. The long march is the significant military campaign made by the Communist Party in the 1935. That, that's the turning point of their victory over the Nationalistic Party. And that's also the moment when Mao became the de facto leader of the party. So in our, well, in Chinese um, um, official history, this campaign is hallowed as this heroism of early communist struggle to defeat uh, the, the, its enemy. Um, so, however, don't, don't worry, this song is not a propaganda uh, music. Uh, it is made in eight, uh, uh, 18, uh, sorry, 1989, uh, when China opened up to the West, and then rock and roll music became this new uh, phenomenon for, for Chinese musicians. So this song is both a parody of the propaganda lyrics and ideology, but also um, a, a true appreciation of the idealism those revolutionaries once had, which seems to be lost in his own time. Or he wants to symbolize how rock and roll can also be the next new thing 
to lift people's uh, spirit and really create uh, a cultural. Uh, it 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 would express people's um, uh, feelings of the new era. Wow, that's really complete explanation. Also, I've never heard the rock Chinese rock and roll, so I'm quite curious. But you also mentioned, I think that's a fun fact that you were like this art artist is still alive and yeah. is is like still famous, although. Although now the music scene has changed. Yeah. yeah, but you went to school with his daughter, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't know. Uh, uh, Sorry, not sure I could share this on radio, but I thought it would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, but I didn't know her really, really well. Okay. Well, yeah. then let's just let the audience enjoy rock and roll in the new Long March.
Welcome back. So that, that was rock and roll on the new long march. And you can, I'm sure you can hear the mix of the military marching band and the rock and roll uh, spirit in, in this uh, song. However, back to the Groundhog Day and the idea of the eternal recurrence. Um, Anita, do you agree that the, the basic premise of the two is the same? Yeah, I like this, um, like this association of the two, between the two ideas, actually. Um, I think it's also interesting to really reflect upon in this moment, uh, historical moment that we're living in right now with COVID, right? Right, indeed. So I'm sure people all have this feeling of being stuck in the repetition and indeed. With, with no hope of the change or future. And then what, what motivates you to get up? every day basically i think that is the core of nietzsche's question yeah exactly that's why i really like how this all all these topics come together in this uh, in this discussion indeed like you say covid just reminded us about how repetitive life is and the routine is although within this routine we actually every day there's little changes right we're still going on about with our lives and, and adjusting to the situation right so we're still actually we're not stuck in the, like a routine routine but um from the outside i guess we are we wake up in the morning we work from home we're always you know from desk to kitchen to to bed and it, just mm -hmm. like going out for groceries i mean i think that's quite it really reminds me of this whole thing when you when we talk about eternal recurrence right um, but of course, the way Nietzsche asks this question is much more dramatic, right? So if we do a little bit of uh, a close reading of the text, so he first set up this experiment. He introduces this demon and the time of this experiment to steal after you into your loneliest loneliness. Do you have moments like that? I certainly do. I would wake up in the middle of the night and wonder, oh, Jesus, is that all my life is, you know? Uh, is that all I have? And I think Nietzsche is right that it is a personal question. So each one have to answer it for ourselves. Uh, hence the loneliest loneliness. And Nietzsche also phrases the question beautifully. He even includes the most mundane features of one's life, such as a spider in one's room or the moonlight between the trees. Well, now the question is, would you like all of that happen to you over and over again? I think these little details, indeed, the spider, um, I don't know, I think it's a very nice way of putting it because the little details of life, I think I would live through them over and over again. You would? Forever, I think, because those are the, the details are those things that you would... Uh, but then, of course, it's more problematic when you ask me, would you live again and again certain uh, well, grief or because then I would say no. And then you would ask me, would you live again? All the happiness, the happy moments of your life. And I would say yes. So it's like, <laughs> OK, yes. So in, in Nietzsche's point, there's no pick and choose. Right. So so now the, so it's either be a curse or a blessing. So you could either say the demon you would curse the demon by saying, oh, why do you punish me to give me all the same thing over and over again? Or you would appreciate the demon and consider it a god. And Nietzsche is more interested in the second option. So however, he gives a condition to the second option. So he says, he asks you, have you once experienced a tremendous moment when you would have answered him 
you are a god, and never have I heard anything more divine. But what is this tremendous moment? As Anita, you said, it will be the, the joyful moments in your life, right? So magic that you want to live your life again and again just to experience that. However, the problem is that tremendous moment is in the past. So basically, now when the demon comes to you, you'd haven't, you don't have the tremendous moment anymore. You're at your lowest point, your weakest point, mm. when you feel most alone. Then, do you still have the courage to summon the memory of that past tremendous moment and experience that thing again, together with everything else? Bob, I would ask you now, though, what's mm -hmm. your take on this? What would you, what do you respond to the demon who comes here, sneaks in your room tomorrow night, yeah, asking yeah, yeah. you this same question? Then it depends on the mood of the moment you're saying, or what would you say to him? Um... It's funny you say that. Um, I started reading Nietzsche when I was uh, 17, and he's actually the philosopher that introduced me to philosophy and made me want to study philosophy. Oh. And uh, I have read this uh, section when I was in the States, uh, when I wasn't sure if I should pursue philosophy forever. So I was wow. thinking... So, Quite so it, a lot of responsibility on Nietzsche's shoulders in, in without way, him knowing it. In a way, yes. So, so um, because for, uh, for Nietzsche, it's clear that it is, it is a uh, thought experiment, right? You're, you're invited to think about it. And you can either listen to it and uh, forget about it next day, or you can, as Nietzsche says, being possessed by this question. So he, Nietzsche says, if this question possesses you, it would change you as you are, or it perhaps crushes you. So there is a risk of taking this question seriously. And what exactly does it mean to take this question seriously? He says, it means to question everything you do and ask, do you desire this thing once more and innumerable times more? This question would become the greatest weight upon your action. Hence the title of the section, the greatest weight. And just imagine how hot and heavy it would be if by deciding for once, you're also deciding for the eternity of the same thing. And the last sentence reads, Or how well disposed would you have to become to yourself and to life to crave nothing more fervently than this ultimate eternal confirmation? So he's imagining what kind of life or what kind of person you need to be in order to want to have that eternal recurrence. Um, you know the phrase uh, YOLO, right? You only live once. What Nietzsche is saying here is almost opposite of that. Instead of asking what one would do if one only lived once, he invites you to ask yourself what you would do if you live this life eternally. He knows it is heavy, just like YOLO is relieving. You, you know, people say that, oh, if you only live once, who cares? Just do whatever you want. Um, it can be encouraging. Um, but I, and I do not mean to discredit the power of YOLO. What I am saying is Nietzsche is also encouraging you to live your life to the fullest, but his demand is much higher. It is clear from the shift of focus from the moment of decision to a dispositional character, who you are, what kind of life you want, or as Aristotle would call it, your virtues. 
So it is about a commitment to yourself or a promise to yourself that you are not only living for this moment. And just because this moment will pass, it does not mean that it doesn't matter what you do now. He wants us to see the opposite, to live the moment as if it, it will not pass, but to return over and over again. How would you live your life then? Um, what do you think, Anita? Do you think it's a good... Uh, do you yeah. think the thought would possess you? I think it would quite haunt me, yeah, because then it means that each decision I take in my life is there is this heaviness of exactly just like you said, YOLO is relieving. Ah, oh, just let's go to this party. I will only live once, or let's I don't know, let's get drunk, whatever. Okay, now I'm using not really that's fine. Like um, yeah, that's yeah, that's fine. Interactive examples, but still um, so in the sense of then. If I would have to live eternally like this, then I would basically it would take me in a, a year to choose what to do, right? I would never choose in the end. Maybe I do. I do it. But I don't know it because this if this this is what is my life will be about eternally. Then uh, maybe I should t- think it through again and again until I, I never make the decision. I th- I think that's very interesting because the heaviness might paralyze your mm. ability to make decisions. Yeah, exactly. Um. And I think he his point is, maybe that is what reality is, you know. And who who knows what responsibilities do we actually have for each moment? We should take our decisions seriously. And what does it mean to take decisions seriously? Is to imagine them repeating over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be it might be hard. I absolutely agree, but it seems a good practice to have. I think one thing he wants to say is then you would have less regrets. Yeah, but would you really? I mean, I'm not sure. I, I agree. I think it's a really nice way of uh, of talking Yeah, the audience into really thinking their decision through, but then I'm not sure it would make the decision actually uh, wiser in the end. Ah, hmm. Because uh, also sometimes Your, the best yeah. decisions are the decisions taken... Um, quite on a rush not always of course but yeah there's always it really depends on the person on the context on the type of choice that you have to take but um, yes it actually it actually doesn't make the the decision wiser what it only does it makes your responsibility heavier yeah, yeah. you can just look back and, and say okay I really thought this through I really thought this through so well that I cannot regret it somehow or I cannot feel that guilty about my decision afterwards something similar to that or, or it, it can be a, a retrospective so mm-hmm. after you have made your decision mm-hmm. and you're asked this question would you leave the question leave the life yeah, again yeah that's what I meant yeah so how can you affirm life uh, with all of its up and downs how can you be non-discriminative towards both small things and big things in your life. Take them equally and really appreciate every little thing. Maybe that's also another aspect of his thought experiment. Hmm. Wow, this Nietzsche. Yeah, well. Uh, that's good. Uh, I really, I'm really glad uh, that you were able to, um, to connect it with the Groundhog Day because I think it's, uh, there's really relevant questions and um, it's really nice to, to brainstorm together about it, I think. Mm-hmm. So let's take a break um, now, uh, a break from these uh, very heavy, heavy but interesting <laughs> thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll play uh, a song by uh, R.E.M. 
which I really like. Men on the Moon. Enjoy. Welcome back. That was Man on the Moon by R.E.M. Um, so after a very interesting talk um, on inspired by philosophy mostly, we're moving now to literature rather, uh, and, and namely Camus. Uh, the idea, because this idea of representation of the same is also picked up by, by him in his essay, The Myth of Sisyphus. So again, I would give the floor to you, Dashwin, to explain this myth, because I think that's really your cup of tea. Right, yes. <laughs> it's a really uh, fun myth to explain. So, well, long story short, uh, Sisyphus, this uh, human hero, was punished by the gods. And his punishment was to carry an immense rock to a hell, 
only to it to roll down every time when it's near the top. And then he has to go downhill and push the rock to the top again. And he is punished to do that eternally. Uh, well, sounds familiar? Yes. So it is another story of the eternal recurrence. The difference between him and uh, the uh, Nietzsche's take is for Nietzsche, it's only a thought experiment. He's asking you to think about your life in that way. Whereas for Camus, it is a factual starting point. Your life is like that. Then what are you going to do about it? Um, so Anita, would you like to read um, another passage, uh, which is from Camus' The Myth of Sisyphus? Sure. Um, I will go and read the passage. So it goes like this. It is during that return, that pause, that Sisyphus interests me. A face that toils so close to stones is already stone itself. I see that man going back down with a heavy yet measured step toward the tor torment of which he will never know the end. That hour, like a breathing space, which returns as surely as his suffering, that is the hour of consciousness. At each of those moments, when he leaves the heights and gradually sinks toward the layers of the gods, he is superior to his fate. He is stronger than his rock. If this myth is tragic, that is because its hero is conscious. Where would it his torture be, indeed, if at the every step the hope of succeeding upheld him. The workman of today works every day in his life at the same tasks, and his fate is no less absurd. But it is tra tragic only at the rare moments when he becomes cautious. Sisyphus, proletarian of the gods, powerless and rebellious, knows the whole extent of his wretched condition. It is what he thinks of during his descent. The lucidity that it was to constitute his torture at the same, at the same time crowns his victory. There is no faith that cannot be surmounted by scorn. Great, thank you, Anita. So Camus here seems to compare human life to Sisyphus' rock-rolling punishment. And he connects them by the, same, by the common absurdity. Um, so Camus is known to be the absurdist, and he writes absurd uh, literature. So before we dive into the text, let us first uh, get it out of the way that Camus here is by no means being apologetic to the working condition of labor or accepting the alienation of work in modern society. He's not saying that a nine to five job is just a fact of life. It is absurd, but what can you do about it? No, we need to understand what he means by the absurd. I think we already touched upon the absurd at the beginning of the show when I talked about the Groundhog Day. So remember, it is a tradition based on whether a groundhog can see its shadow on a clear day in order to determine the coming of spring. That, I mean, if that's not absurd, I don't know what, what absurd could mean. So by absurd, Camus just means pointless, without reason. Or when I see something, I say, I can't think of why anyone would do that. But what do you do when you live amongst the Pennsylvanian Dutch? 
Do you or do you not go to see the Groundhog and join the celebration, knowing fully well that this whole thing is just for funsies? What Camus does is basically applying this idea of absurd to life as a whole. So when he, si when he says life is absurd, he's not saying that life is pointless. Life can have meaning, but only after you have first realized its meaninglessness. So in the same way, uh, you can still enjoy Christmas after you know that the Santa Claus is not real. That is why Camus says, it is during the return, the pause, that Sisyphus interests me. So it is when you realize that, oh, um, what you have understood as meaningful no longer gives you meaning, but you still need to act to carry on with life. Then how should we start again? So we can sympathize with the child who first realizes that, oh, Santa Claus is not real or someone who has failed to achieve what he or she has taken for granted. The consciousness of failure, mistake, is tragic, but at least now one has faced what one knows as true. That is what Camus calls lucidity. So the, by lucidity, he means this clear understanding that uh, now we don't have the choice of believing the old things we used to believe, uh, but we have to believe in new things. Uh, and that is uh, the struggle that everybody needs to take. Um, and, and as Camus says at the end of the essay, the struggle itself toward the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. This is the ending of the paper. This ending is in a startled contrast with the opening line of the essay. He says famously, there is but one truly serious philosophical problem, and that is suicide. Judging whether life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question of philosophy. So his answer via the life of Sisyphus is to say yes, even Sisyphus' life is worth living. And one might argue, because it is worth living, we must imagine him to be happy or have the possibility of being happy. Of course, here happiness m means something quite different, not necessarily the feeling of being happy, but rather a kind of affirmation of life, despite its tragic precariousness. So I think to imagine Sisyphus happy is similar to answer affirmatively to Nietzsche's eternal recurrence. If one can imagine Sisyphus to be happy, one would also be willing to take the challenge to imagine one's life being eternal, eternally recurring. Um, so I guess now question for you is, can you imagine, do you agree this uh, equivocation that if we think someone's life is worth living, we must imagine them to be happy? Mm, no, I don't. I don't think there is a direct correlation as we also mentioned um now because there is yeah i don't i don't think it's the same saying that life is worth living and, and you're happy that's what you're you're trying to uh may, yeah may, maybe not the equivocation but i guess my point is if we agree that even sisyphus's life is worth living then we must imagine him to be possible it's it 
happiness must be possible for that kind of life. Yeah, indeed. Because, but I think I I like I think it's a powerful a concept that once you know at least you're aware of the reality you're living in, then although it might be tragic, or as the example of Christmas, you can still acknowledge act fat and process it in your head and can go go ahead with your life. Right. So in a way, it's tragic, but once you have internalized it, it's like it's gradual. Because this means that it's a gradual life where you keep understanding that there is some truth that needs to be reviewed. Something, some things that you thought were true but are no longer true. So if it's gradual, then you're you, you can. It's easier to cope with the, with the sadness or the deception that comes with it. I think, but there's cases also when somebody just. Uh, I don't, I don't know at the end of one's life or mm-hmm. in the middle of it realizes that he that he's lived a, a huge lie or has lived in yeah. a way that didn't want to. So in this way, it's so tragic that yeah. I can understand that maybe life is not that, maybe it's not, no longer worth living. I mean, I see this as the most tragic. But yeah. if it's gradual, it's a gradual internalization of, mm-hmm. ah, this was not what I thought it was. Yeah. It's actually this way. Then maybe one can cope better and keep going with his life. It's like constantly redirecting yourself, reorienting yourself. Right. I, I like the idea of, of the gradualness uh, because it is true that it's not you can answer the question at one point, then it's answered. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, the, the whole point of Sisyphus is every time when the rock goes into the hill, he has to go back to the, to the, to the bottom of the, of the uh, hill and say, what do I do now? Right? Um, but I think... Um, what, um, the interesting thing is the idea of suicide. So, because to say life is not worth living, basically we're giving a reason to commit suicide. So the alternative to suicide is to confirm life and say it is worth living. And, and the question is, what does that mean? And uh, how is that related to happiness? Um, and I, I, I know... Uh, with Camus, he never gives you any concrete idea of, of what happiness is. Um, and I can't really say for everybody. Um, but from the Aristotelian point of view, um, sorry to bring my... Uh, old, <laughs> you can't help it. Yeah, I, I, just, I just can't help Your it. Your mentor. So, he's, so the, this Aristotelian uh, background of this by saying... If life is for the sake of happiness, to say a life is worth living means that there is, possi- there is happiness possible for that kind of life. Uh, so in order, so at least for me, to believe life is worth living means to believe in its possibility of happiness. Not forever, but for those moments. So we live for those golden moments when we feel truly happy, when we're with friends, you know, when we have done something we are really proud of. And for the sake of that, we're happy to endure the everyday repetition, uh, the groundhog day. Amen to that. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing your, um, your opinion on this. And uh, maybe we want to go on a short music break um, to decompress a bit. Mm-hmm. Yes. The next song I choose is The Boxer by Simon Garfunkel. I am 
just a poor boy, though my story is seldom told. I have squandered my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles, such are promises. All lies and jest, still the man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. No more than a boy in the company of strangers in the quiet of the railway station, wet and scared. Laying low, seeking out the poorer quarters where the ragged people go, looking for the places only they would know. Asking only workmen's wages, I come looking for a job, but I get no offers. Just to come on from the wars on 7th Avenue. I do declare there were times when I was so lonesome, I took some comfort there. La, 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 la. was The Boxer by Simon Garfunkel. Um, I don't know if you notice, uh, the end of the lyric says, in his anger and his shame, I am leaving, I am leaving, but the fighter still remains. So he has suffered, he wanted to leave, but he remains as a fighter. So I think it speaks for the idea of eternal recurrence as well. Namely, a boxer, he has suffered defeats, physical defeats throughout the song. 
but he perseveres. He takes one punch after another, not in order to have a chance to win, but because he has become who he is, a fighter. So I think he's a hero that Camus would really appreciate uh, in the face of the absurd. Bringing together also music and all this, good song selection, Dashan. Thank you. And um, as we need to soon wrap it up, unfortunately, I would then ask you after this very interesting thought exercise, um, drawing from literature and from philosophy, uh, what can, yeah, how can we apply this to our current situation as me, you, but also those listening to us, students living during COVID times, um, trying to yeah, find new meanings in their routine, trying to find new motivation, what they do since, mm-hmm. since life is a bit different right now. What do you think mm-hmm. could be some, yeah, the moral of the story somehow? Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it reminds me of um, a quote also from Camus in his novel, The Stranger. Uh, so the stranger was put into prison and he says, if someone has lived outside of the prison for a day, he has enough memory to occupy himself in the prison forever. So um, I, I, I never really understand you know, what he means, right? But I think what he's saying is that the, rich, the richness of life is not given to us by perception. You have to think about it. You have to go under the surface. And uh, it takes great taste and sensibility to appreciate small things. And at least for me, uh, uh, co- the COVID situation has limited my scope of activity. But it does not limit me in the sense of how, how deep I can go with the small things that I know uh, and to cherish the things I'm, I already have. Um, and uh, I know philosophers are not very good at giving advices, right? They, they keep poking you by asking you questions. And the, Socr- the Socratic question, such as, you know, the, the unexamined life is not worth living doesn't give you any answer about what is worth living at all um, and uh, at least for me the answer is in small things hmm. I like I like this interpretation so but by the quote of Camus uh, I also thought that it means basically that you can stay in your room just doing limited amount of things in this period but thinking also cherishing the ones you already had so it's like reliving your in your head Mm, what you're what you what's out there and what's possible that you you cannot do right now but you will be able to do maybe after prison right so after covid in this case so yeah. i think it's interesting insight and yeah. yeah you i think you're right it's both about memory and hope yeah for the future and also like you said the that your mind is not limited in any way to uh, wander in every corner so that's uh, it can be hard for some people to do and yeah, I don't think it's for everyone, but I, I think it's an interesting uh, suggestion for those who can, can try at least in their rooms or where they are. Uh, wherever Listen to this radio, for example, would yeah. be a good way to yeah. make your mind wander. Exactly. Yeah. But we also try to, um, yeah, to also with some music. I think there's a lot that we can bring in that they can really um, poke, but also give some answers, I think, to each person. So yeah, I think it was really a really fun episode. So I would I would uh, start by thanking you first of all for being here for your first episode. I think it was great. Um, it was my pleasure. And uh, uh, since we have to wrap wrap up, I would like to remind again to our listeners uh, where they can find uh, the voice um, articles 
So uh, the we- on our website, thevoiceleuven.be, on Facebook, The Voice International Student Publication, and Instagram, thevoice.kuleuven. And for our radio episodes, past, present, future, they can all find, uh, you can all find them on Spotify on The Voice on Radio, exclamation point, our channel. Um, so yeah, let's just cherish the small things in, of everyday life, as you said. Um, let's try to feed our, our minds with ideas, with uh, whatever is out there, literature, philosophy, um, politics, whatever is your cup of tea your cup of tea indeed <laughs> so today was my cup of tea but i really enjoy discussing with you uh, all these uh, these uh, issues is yeah very interesting ideas and um about small things i will introduce a song selected by dashon actually um we'll add a little french touch to the our today's album by playing la première bonheur du jour by françoise hardy So you enjoy and see you next week. Le premier bonheur du jour C'est un ruban de soleil Qui s'enroule sur ta main de la mer et la plage qui attend c'est l'oiseau qui a chanté sur la branche du figuier le premier chagrin du jour c'est la porte qui se ferme qui s'en va le silence qui s'installe mais bien vite tu reviens et ma vie reprend son cours le dernier bonheur du Thank mm-hmm. you.